seems as if the Supreme Court is poised to overturn that landmark Roe v. Wade decision. And we learned of this through an unprecedented leak from the very secretive Supreme Court. And so now everybody has an opinion on why this leak may have occurred and who may have leaked it. I mean, you go on and depending upon your news outlet of choice, everybody's got an opinion. Maybe it was a liberal trying to make sure that one of the Supreme Court justices will flip their vote and join the other liberals on the court. Maybe it was a conservative trying to put pressure so that, hey, if you do flip, everybody's going to know that you were the one who backed out and you will lose your base completely. Maybe it was a moderate who did this leaking to try to show the court, hey, look what the upheaval you're going to bring to the culture, to the country. Maybe there's a middle ground that you can find. And so everybody's telling you who they think it might be or why they think it might have occurred. And who do you listen to? What opinion can you trust? Everybody has an opinion. Everybody has a suggestion. But who has the say? You know, that is one of the difficulties, one of the confusing things in our culture right now is who really has the say? There's, there's nobody on the national scene who, when they speak, the country just unites behind and listens and trusts because nobody really seems to have the say. This morning, we're turning to the prophet Zephaniah. Zephaniah spoke during a time when a lot of people had opinions. A lot of people had suggestions as how Judah should operate and what they should do and how they should regain their footing in the world. And Zephaniah would write and he would say, hey, there's all these opinions out there, but only God has the say. We live in a culture not too different, do we? Everybody has an opinion. Everybody has a suggestion on what you should think and how you should live your life and what you should do. But we'll let Zephaniah remind us this morning as he reminded the people in Judah, only God has the say. Let's check this out together. In Zephaniah chapter one, we'll look at the first 18 verses. The prophet writes, the word of the Lord, that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests, those who bow down on the roofs to the host of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord, and yet swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated his guests. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and with fraud. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hill. 
hills. Wail, O inhabitants of the mortar, for all the traders are no more. All who weigh out silver are cut off. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Their goods shall be plundered, and their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The Lord of the day is the, the sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet blasts and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like the dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end. He will make all the inhabitants of the earth. Zephaniah, he was preaching during a 20-year period of actually relative peace during the time of Judah. The geopolitical forces of the day were shifting. Zephaniah, he, he preached during a time when Assyria was falling and before Babylon had really taken control. In fact, Zephaniah will even predict the fall of, of Assyria and Nineveh, and it happened during his prophecy. He, he, he was alive and preached long enough to see what God had revealed to him actually take place. And so at this time during Judah, the writing was on the wall for Assyria. Nobody was really in charge over Judah or had influence over them, no foreign country. It was a time for Judah to kind of regain her prosperity. At the same time, Judah had a good king, King Josiah. He was one of the good ones. There weren't a lot, but Josiah was one of them. And so he was leading a series of reforms to try to lead the people back to a proper relationship with God. The prophet Jeremiah, he celebrated Josiah. He was excited for what God might do through this young, good king. And then he was devastated when Josiah was killed in battle with Egypt. So Zephaniah, he speaks during a time when the prospects are looking good for Judah, a time when Assyria is losing and eventually will lose her control and her dominance over the world, and a time before Babylon would really experience her rise to world power. And so during this time, uh, a lot of people had ideas about what Josiah should do next, how to lead Judah in order to regain her footing and how the people should think and how they should live and what they should do. Everybody had an opinion. Everybody had a suggestion. And Zephaniah is this brutal book that comes along and says, only God has the say. You know, sometimes when we read the prophets, uh, we, we can't make heads or tails of why God is acting this way. I mean, it's so bloody and so gruesome and the downfall is so complete and Zephaniah is no different. And so you're not going to hear too many messages from the book of Zephaniah because it is a bloody, gruesome book. And if you need a visual to help you just kind of remember what the prophet uh, Zephaniah is speaking about, you just think of a broom. Because over and over again, you get this imagery of God saying that he's going to sweep away everything. Now, does everything mean everything? 
Well, every one of you know that everything doesn't always mean everything, right? No, we all don't know that, do we? See, the point is here that sometimes we take a term like every or all, but we don't really mean every last thing, right? For instance, all Americans are very patriotic and love their country. Well, probably not. Hopefully most of us are, but probably not. The prophet says that God will sweep away everything. But you've really got to keep reading to understand what God is saying through his prophet. And you have to keep reading all the way until chapter three, because there he finally says that I will leave behind those who are humble, those who seek refuge in the name of the Lord God. And so he's sweeping away a lot. And Zephaniah wants to just kind of accentuate how much God is sweeping away. He wants the, the Israelites to understand how exhaustive this destruction is going to be. He says that he's going to sweep away every man and every beast, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea. Do you see what the prophet is doing? He's reversing the order of creation. The order of creation, he just takes it and turns it around. Just imagine this picture. The sin of God's people has been so complete that it has touched every aspect of God's good and holy and right creation. And so now that this sin has infected in this way, God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to unwind everything that I created. I'm going to sweep it all away. And where is he going to start? <laughs> He's going to start right in Jerusalem. That, that, that's where the prophet starts us, right in Jerusalem and into Judea. See, Zephaniah, he is in the lineage of this great king, Hezekiah. And so he's one of the most respected kings in all of Israel. And so uh, Zephaniah, he uses that lineage to his advantage to speak to the people of Judah. And so he points in right at them and he says, where's this sweeping away? Where's this destruction starting? It's starting right here with you. And so that's where it is in chapter one. And then chapter two, he expands and he moves to all these surrounding nations. And then in chapter three, he points the finger back at Judah and Jerusalem. And so, and the book's only three chapters long. So he's really hammering it home that it's going to start with you. And so now the question is why though? Why Zephaniah? Why God? Why, why are you doing this? Why is this sweeping away so complete? Well, the, the people, they, they were under the reign of King Josiah. And under the reign of King Josiah, there were reforms taking place where the people were turning back to the Lord, where the, the Torah was given a place of priority in culture again. But at the same time, uh, the people, the same people who are bowing down to God are also bowing down to false gods. Their priests are even serving false gods and they're serving this false god, Milcom. Perhaps better translated Molech, the Ammonite, the false god of the Ammonites who, who required child sacrifices. We don't know for sure. It's all depending upon the Hebrew vowel pointing there. But anyway, nevertheless, the point is the people, they're bowing down to, to God in one moment. And in the very next, they're bowing down to all these other false gods and serving all these other false gods. They're very double-minded. And you know what? Sometimes we can be too, can't we? We can be double-minded. We, we can study the Bible, but why do we study it? Well, just to learn information or to impress our friends that we know everything or try to appear godly. What is the motivation? Sometimes we can do something good, an act of good works or something. Why? 
to be noticed so that people will think well of us so that people want to be our friend or come to our church or to appear godly. See, we can have double motives too. And the point is it's all for Christ. It's all for Christ. Everything we do, everything we have is all for Christ. So we hold life's possessions with open hands, but at the same time, we cling to Christ tightly. We hold life's possessions with open hands. But we cling to Christ tightly. It's very easy for me to want to give things that I don't have. It's very easy for me to look at other people and say, hey, you know, if you just used your time or your talent or, or your treasure in this way, huh, see, I, it's easy for me to make decisions for others. But what the hard thing is, and the hard thing for us is to really look at ourselves and ask the question, is there any double-mindedness in me? Is there anything hypocritical in me? And sure there is from time to time. There, there's, sure there is. And so then I've got to plead with God to remove this double-mindedness and create in me a pure heart. So I'm putting off the double-mindedness. I'm putting on this pure heart. <laughs> you know, it's possible though that some of the Israels are like, you know, um, I'm not actually sacrificing to Molech. I'm not actually sacrificing to these false gods. It's possible for you to look at this passage like this and say, hey, you know, I, I think there might be a big difference between being a, a little double-minded and actually sacrificing to false gods. Well, Zephaniah, he explains it even more, and he goes further in verse 9. He says, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold. Now, for us, it's like, okay, well, what does that mean? What's well, a threshold? Well, in those days, buildings were, were built with uh, clay or brick and in order to have a door, you got to have a wood frame there. And, and the wood and, and, and the frame for the door that was made of wood would go all around the sides, the top, the bottom, and then you stick the door in. And you had to do that. Otherwise, the door would just kind of fall off. And so the bottom wood panel that was on the floor, that was the threshold. Well... There's an Old Testament story in 1 Samuel about a false Philistine god named Dagon. Maybe you know the story. And Dagon, he's this false god, and he falls over. You know, it's a bad thing when your god falls over, and then you're the one who has to pick him up. But that's what happens. The god falls over. The people pick him up. They put him back. And then wouldn't you know it, the false god fell over again. And this time when the false god fell over, his head just broke right off. Now you know it's really bad when your, false, when your god's head just falls right off. And his head fell off, and where did it land? Yeah, you guessed it, on the threshold. And so there was this superstitious practice that came into being where, hey, you always jump over the threshold or at least step over the threshold. You don't want to step on the threshold for fear that maybe your head would fall off. Now, we wouldn't do anything like that today. We, we wouldn't have any silly superstitions like that. We wouldn't have anything like if you're walking a, along on a sidewalk and you say, oh, don't step on the crack. Why do you not step on the crack? Yeah, you don't want to break your mother's back. I bet your mom told you that, but you heard that. It, it's just common. And there are people who they get all weirded out by Friday the 13th when, when it lands on that date. Or this, this idea that, hey, bad things come in three. You know, the Stanley Cup uh, or the, the NHL playoffs are going on right now, hockey. And, and by the time it gets to the Stanley Cup, a lot of hockey players, they had this superstition that they're not going to shave during the whole Stanley Cup for fear that it would impact their play somehow. 
You know, baseball players, they have all their superstitions too. I mean, one of my favorites, Aaron Judge, he spits his gum out every time he makes an out. If he, if he doesn't make an out, well, he keeps chewing that same piece of gum. You know, we have sports figures, they have all kinds of superstitions. And we have our own superstitions sometimes too, don't we? We can even make the Bible into a superstitious kind of a thing. You know, if I just do my devotion today, and if I really, if I just get 15 minutes and I really pray and, and read God's word, then this business meeting will go better for me. No, what will go better for your business meeting is to know your product and to know your customer base. No, the, the two are oftentimes unrelated, but we can treat it in a superstitious kind of manner. And God says, I, I don't accept faith like that. I don't, I don't want anything to do with a superstitious faith or a double-minded faith. That, that's not what I'm about. And so all these little superstitions, all this idolatry, all this double-mindedness, it's all sin. And the consequence of that sin for Judah, for Jerusalem, and for all the surrounding nations is that the nations will fall. That God's going to come and he's going to sweep away all of that, all of these opinions, all of these suggestions about what Josiah should do and how the people should think and how the people ought to live. And Zephaniah, he steps up and he says, hush, be quiet, be still before the Lord, the presence of the sovereign God. All of you have an opinion, but only God has the say. You know, oftentimes we can live our lives as if we are the CEO of, of some kind of board. And so when we have a decision to make, what do we do? Well, we go to our board and our board can be uh, anybody. It could be our parents, it could be our spouse, it could be children, it could be friends, it could be neighbors, it could be a boss, it could be anybody. And yeah, there's a decision to make. And so you go to your board and you ask, hey, what do you, what do you think? And you, and you collect everybody's thoughts. And of course, if you're a Christian, well, Jesus is on your board too. He has a say as well. And then somebody wrongs you. They hurt you deeply. And okay, Jesus, what do you, what do you say to that? Well, you need to pray for those who persecute you. Well, that's an interesting idea, Jesus. And you think about it, and then you go to your friends, you go to your board. Anyone else have an opinion? Anybody else have a thought on this? You turn to Clean Eastwood, you get his advice. <laughs> That's how we work oftentimes, isn't it? And then we make our decision from there. Understand this. Jesus is the only one who has the say. If your friends, if your board does not quote scripture to you, if they do not bring you to the Bible and show you the heart of God, understand you need to fire your board. You need other counsel because all that, that's just noise. That's opinion, that's suggestion, it's meaningless. You only need the scripture. You need Jesus is the only one who has to say, if your board does not speak scripture to you, you gotta fire your board. We take all this information in and we forget something. What we forget is this, it's not your life. Not anymore. You've been bought with a price. He's not just a member on the board. He's not just some member on the board. He's the owner of your life. A lot of people have an opinion. He has paid to have the say. Be quiet. Hush. The sovereign Lord has the say. The day of the Lord is near. And we hear that. We might cheer at first. Oh, the day of the Lord is near. But the day of the Lord is this day when God judges sin. 
There's some good to it, absolutely. He's going to sweep away all of the idolatry. He's going to sweep away all of the double-mindedness, all of these little goofy superstitions. It's a day when he makes all things right, when all the accounts of the earth will be settled, when what is broken will be fixed, when what is lost will be found. It's a day when the Lord, he, he comes and your account is laid open. What you have done in the dark will be brought to the light. Those things that you thought were secret, they'll be shouted from the rooftops, Jesus says. Those, those little things that you thought didn't harm anybody, well, now it's all brought to the light. It's exposed because Jesus will deal with it all. This is the day of the Lord, the great and terrible day of the Lord. And Zephaniah speaks a lot about it. And then the question comes, what are you going to do in that moment? And you look, and as you think, and you know, say, I'm going to get swept away too. I'm going to get swept away too because I had these issues. I'm double-minded sometimes. My motives are not always pure. I got little goofy stuff that I do sometimes, and I know it's not right, but sometimes it just gets ingrained in me. Do you see what Zephaniah said, though? Highlight this in your Bibles. I mean, circle it, understand it. He says, he has consecrated those he invited. He has set apart. He has cleansed. He has washed. He has made whole. He's put it back together. He has done all the work. He's the one who's consecrated those he invited. One of the last nights that Jesus spent with his disciples, shared a meal. We, we often call it the Last Supper. And in those days, as you're walking along the dirty, dusty roads, your feet would just get nasty because all you had on were sandals. And so it was customary for the host to provide a servant to cleanse your feet. And it was a nice, hospitable thing to do because it just put you at ease. It helped you relax. It was a way of welcoming you into the home. And so the disciples come in and perhaps as they're just settling in and, and getting themselves situated, maybe they're looking around the room and they're wondering, when is the servant going to come just to wash our feet, just to put everything at ease, just to kind of welcome us in. And then to their amazement, to their shock, Jesus, he takes the towel, he takes the bowl, he, he bends down, and Jesus begins to wash his disciples' feet. The one who invites us in is the one who consecrates us. He has consecrated the ones he invited. He's the one who cleanses. He washes you. He washes me. God consecrates the ones he invited. And so you're being invited into Jesus' house to his family. But there's this moment of panic because you say, I, I want to bring a gift. I want to bring something. I want to show some type of appreciation. But what, what do you bring to God? I mean, what, what do you offer to him? You, you, you want to somehow contribute something to this meal. He's, I, I, what, what could I possibly bring? You know, there's nothing you can't bring. Jesus brought it all. Look at the passage again. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. <laughs> He's brought the only gift that's needed. He's the one who's brought the sacrifice. Abraham and Isaac, they crawl up a mountain. And Isaac, he looks and he sees the fire. He sees the wood. And so he asks his dad, hey, dad, I see the wood. I, I, I see the fire, but where's the sacrifice? Abraham doesn't even look back. He just responds, son, the Lord will provide. On another hill in Jerusalem, 
long time later, another father and son went up a mountain, a mountain called Calvary, and the Lord provided the sacrifice. The sacrifice for you and me, the sacrifice that was needed in order to consecrate us, to cleanse us, to redeem us, to make us whole, <laughs> to purchase sinners like you and me. And so what about all these voices telling you, here's how you should respond. Here's what you should do. Here's how you should think. Here, how's, here's how you ought to live. Here's, here's how you should run your life. Their voices, their noise. Zephaniah reminds us that God is the only one who has the say because he's paid to have the say. Hush, be quiet in the presence of the sovereign God. Heavenly Father, we thank you in a noisy, loud world, in a world vying for our attention, telling us what to think, how to feel, how to live. God, that your word speaks clearly. That, who, that you tell us what life is meant to be about. God, that you have the say over our lives and how we should respond to difficulty and how we should rejoice in the good times. So God, help us to be people of your word. We need your help to do that. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.